Let's bow our heads now in a word of prayer and ask God to bless. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that unique blessing rests now upon the hearts and the minds of your people. Father, I'm not going to be here for a time, but this isn't my word, it's your word. But I pray that it sinks in deeply, they begin practicing these things, begin understanding who you are and what you are, and very formally, Lord, carry out what you are speaking here. Grant this, precious Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over the years, I have attained a measure of success, which I believe would have been far greater had I began practicing these things when I was a young man. I did not practice them because of two reasons. Number one, I didn't know about them, and number two, I was filled with pride and a very great estimate of myself, that I really pretty well knew how the world was put together, and I knew how to be a success, so I was very caught up with carrying out my own plans for life. Now, that would take until I was over 40 years of age before I finally came to a place of thorough understanding that it's in man's heart to plan, but the disposition of it is in the hand of God. So I, therefore, changed my ideas of planning and said, I will first of all find out what God's plan is, and then I will adopt that for myself. And that will be my plan, and I will execute that plan to the best of my ability, still always knowing that it is God's will that determines the going of it or the coming of it. So I'm going to draw for you, I'm going to read from last week's message, two conclusions that were drawn, a series of conclusions. Number one, God very carefully states in many ways, and we'll bring some scriptures out indicating that idea again today, everything is God's. And if you prosper in any way, it will be because God releases those things that are his into your hand. All right, so everything is God. He makes this statement again and again. And many times Christians refer to it as something as mine. And unfortunately, if they were merely identifying that they had possession of it, that would be okay to say that, like, I manage this or I'm in charge of it. But in their hearts, they assume ownership. This is mine. And I do with it as I see fit. See, the minute you transfer from that, I am a manager, I am a tenant, God is the owner. The minute you transfer from that, you put yourself in serious jeopardy. God cannot allow his sovereignty to be challenged. So we have to be very careful how we think about our possessions, our children, our families, our mates, everything in this life. It is his. It is never ours. It still remains his. For we are never owners of anything but only tenants and sojourners. And that's the word that God uses. You, he said, are tenants. A tenant never owns, merely pays rent. Passing through. God will not allow infringement of his sovereignty to go unchallenged. He is gracious and slow to bring judgment. See, and many times the Bible says, because God does not execute judgment speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in themselves to do evil. In other words, they violate God's sovereignty, sometimes blatantly, and God does not kill them. So then, I can get away with it. See, and they harden themselves, and pretty soon they're just racing along some pathway that leads to certain ruin. But God is slow, and he keeps dealing and dealing and dealing. Now, anywhere along the line, if they stop, they're still wrong that they've done, and we'll be punished for the wrong we've done, but we can avoid total disaster. But if we don't stop, then judgment comes. And I read Colossians 1.25, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong he has done, and there is no respected persons with God, no partiality. All right. 
Then I read to you the law of blessing and cursing. The law of blessing and cursing is part of the law of judgment. God must bring judgment, good or bad. Blessing comes on the one who submits to God's sovereignty and follows his ways. But the fullness of the blessing may not be seen until the succeeding generations, even the third and the fourth. In other words, if I lay a right foundation in my children and they take it, they can be greater than I ever was. See, now, I cannot be greater than Christ who teaches me. That's absolutely. My only desire is to be like Christ. But I tell you, your children can be greater than you if you impart to them the right things and then they take those things, walk with them, and even learn more. See, so the next generation can rise, third and fourth, so forth. Each generation can be greater than the one before it if they walk in God's ways. So blessing comes on the ones, but it may not be seen in the third and fourth generation. Cursing comes on the one who rejects God's sovereignty and refuses his ways. But the full outworking of a curse may not be seen until succeeding generations appear. In other words, if I impart into my children selfishness, self-will, pride, whatever it is that are contrary to God, and they pick that up from me, they may be worse than I was unless I repent, begin to turn, and hopefully then they can be turned so it won't be so bad. Now... The succeeding generations, however, can break the curse. But they must break it by confession, faith, and persistent action to establish God's sovereignty and ways in them. So now, they can break it any time. For instance, my parents did not know the Lord. But that line of cursing, which could have come on me, I could have been harder, and then to my children even harder, and then, but because God spoke to me and somehow I heard it. Now, I take no credit for that. I just simply say I heard it then began to live for him, even though for many years I didn't really live for him. But finally, when I was 40, I caught hold of it, rejected those ways, began to practice vigorously the ways of the Lord, and I believe now that curse has been broken as far as extending it again and again. Now it's turning and coming back the other way. All right, now it's very important that you understand that, otherwise you will go through life with no understanding of what's going on in your life. Well, well something happened to me, and this happened to me, and I don't know why it happens all chance. There is no chance in this world. We're walking by an ordered universe, which we can be a part of that good order or a part of the bad order. Now, so appropriating John 3, 2 today. Brethren, I wish above all things that you may prosper. Here's God's will for us. God is a God of blessing. May prosper, be in health, even as your soul is prospering. Now, I'm going to read from Isaiah, the 37th chapter, and I'm going to read it out of the Living Bible, and I wish you would just listen. Here was a king, King Sennacherib of Assyria, a king that did not know God, filled with pride, did not follow his laws or his ways, and he was very lifted up with his, his power. Now, I'm going to read this. Sennacherib now is speaking to King Hezekiah, king of Israel. It's the 37th chapter, but I wish you'd just listen to it here, please. Don't let this God, Sennacherib now is making a speech. Don't let this God you trust fool you by promising that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. Just remember what has happened wherever the kings of Assyria have gone. For they have crushed everyone who has opposed them. Do you think you will be any different? Did their God save the cities of Gozan, Haran, or Rezeph, or the people of Eden, or Tel Aser? No, the Assyrian kings completely destroyed them and then he goes on raging more. Now remember, it sounds like he's trying to put fear into Hezekiah and the people of Israel, which he was, Jerusalem. But what he was really doing is, we'll see later on, God said, you are raging against me. You are saying, I am greater than God. I will do as I please. I know what I'm doing. I will, right now. 
Hezekiah, as soon as he heard this, verse 14, as soon as King Hezekiah had read the letter, he went over to the temple and spread it out before the Lord and prayed, saying, O Lord, Almighty God of Israel, enthroned between the guardian angels, the cherubim, you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone made heaven and earth. Now notice, he is submitting to the sovereignty of God. Lord, what does he say? Is this man mad? He is saying, but I know who you are. You own everything, Lord, and I am here merely as your servant. Now, this is the basic. Now, see, many times our prayers are based on, oh, Lord, give me this, oh, Lord, give me this. Wait, where am I in relationship to his sovereignty? How does this thing fit in that I'm asking for? How does it fit into his plan for my life? What is it that God wants? See, there's where we ought to be lining up our prayers. And people, if you want prayers answered, that's the way to pray. Approach God as a submitted person, totally under his sovereign reign, walking under the lordship of Jesus Christ, following out the plan of God for your life, and then I tell you, he will give you the desires of your heart. See, it's very important. Now, Hezekiah understood this, and this is the way he's praying. Listen as I plead. See me as I pray. Look at this letter from King Sennacherib, for he has mocked the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all those nations, just as the letter says, and thrown their gods into the fire. For they weren't gods at all, but made from wood and stone carved by men. Of course the Assyrians could destroy them. O Lord, our God, save us, so that all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you are God and you alone. Now, do you notice the complete difference in one man, I will do this and I... The other man, you are God. And do this, O God, not for my sake. Don't save me. Maybe I die, maybe I... That's not the point. But do it that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are God and you alone. See, Lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Exalt him. All right, now. Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent this message to King Hezekiah. The Lord God of Israel says, This is my answer to your prayer against Sennacherib, Assyria's king. The Lord says to him, My people. And then he goes on to speak here a message to them. Now I'm going to jump down a ways, verse 23. Who is it you scoffed against and mocked? Whom did you revile? At whom did you direct your violence and pride? It was against the Holy One of Israel. You have sent your messengers to mock the Lord. You boast, I came with a mighty army against the nations of the West. I cut down the tallest cedars and choicest cypress trees. I conquered their highest mountains and destroyed the thickest forests. You boast of wells. You've dug in many a conquered land, and Egypt with all its armies is no obstacle to you. Now listen to this next part. So he's referring, this is what you said? Let me tell you something now, he says. But do you not know that it was I who decided all of this long ago? That it was I who gave you all this power from ancient times? See, not you, Sennacherib. I gave it to you. I have caused all this to happen as I planned that you should crush the walled cities and into ruined heaps. In other words, those nations were ripe for judgment, and he raised up a rod of judgment. But Sennacherib got caught up with his own pride. That's why their people had so little power. They were such an easy prey for you. They were as helpless as the grass, as tender plants you trampled down beneath your feet, as grass upon the housetops, burnt yellow with the sun. But I know you well, your comings and goings and all you do, and the way you have raged against me. See, he didn't say, I hear what you're saying against Hezekiah, and I hear what you're saying against I hear... No, he said, this is strictly now between you and me. You haven't just said in an ordinary way, you have challenged my place in this kingdom. Because of your anger against the Lord, I heard it all. I have put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth, 
and led you back to your own land by the same road which you came. That night the angel of the Lord went out to the camp of the Assyrians and killed 185,000 soldiers. When the living wakened the next morning, all these lay dead before them. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, returned to his own country, to Nineveh, and one day while he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his gods, his sons Adramelech and Sherezer killed him with their swords, and they escaped in the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon became king in his stead. Now, what is the message that God is trying to give to us here? See, whether or not the person is a Christian, whether or not the person is a follower of God, whether or not the person has a knowledge of God, whether he's a rank heathen, God is still saying, whatever you do or however you rage, I am still God and I am moving in my plan to bring this world to a culmination. See, God is sovereign. Now, if we can rest in that, what a place of prayer it gives us, what a place of peace. See, God tells me he owns me. And I say, thank you, Lord, somebody owns me. Somebody's going to take care of me. My parts are wearing out. My brain is coming to a standstill. My blood is slowing down. But I'm going to live forever because you own me, Lord. And you're my Lord. You're my... See? Now that puts us in a completely different place. Now then, many Christians, well, all Christians would do this, they come to a place where they accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, their place in heaven is secured. But many Christians, most Christians, nearly all Christians, do not walk out the way of life on this earth, and therefore their place in this earth is not secured, and is filled with all kinds of unneeded pains and heartaches and wrecks and failures and ruin comes to them, because they think just accepting Jesus, that's it. But they do not go to the Word of God and say, now as a Christian, how do I walk? How do I speak to this world by my actions that I am a man under authority, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I do all these things at God's hand and nothing that is not at his hand. See, in other words, I am a servant of the Almighty God. I walk in his ways. All right, now that's what we're aiming at here today. I'm not bringing a question here about whether you're going to heaven or not. Thank God we are because we receive Jesus Christ. But what I am talking about is the testimony we're going to have on this earth, that it should be a marvelous testimony so that other generations are going to be affected, other lands are going to be affected, people's lives are going to be transformed way far removed from us just by hearing about the testimony of God. That's what he wants to see done. All right, now, then the first thing you're going to have to understand here is that curses exist in this world. It's not they're going to exist. They can do that, too. I mean, God can put a special curse on a situation or lift his hand from a situation, which is normally what a curse is. But curses exist because of Adam's sin and others, possibly. That is, the people in Noah's day, I think something was added to the, the pressure of the earth at that time. And it speaks about the earth being divided in the days of Peleg. I think something happened there of a very destructive nature. And then the confusion of tongues and the Tower of Babel, that has created divisions of nations which they've been warring against each other, cultural differences and so forth, which have created great suspicions among nations and has kept us apart all of this time. All right, so these are curses that exist upon the earth. And part of them, I'd like you just to hear one of them read now so you understand where some of this thing comes from. Then to Adam he said, this is the third chapter of the book of Genesis, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, because of this sin. Now remember, not just cursed when you plant seeds, Adam, but cursed to who? 
all the human race would feel the results of this curse. That's what I mean about a curse sometimes doesn't fully manifest itself until generations down the line. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. By that he spoke death to him, so you are going to die, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now that is a curse. That's why I say, here I am a Christian, I'm living for God, but you know what happens if the Lord does not come soon enough? I'm going to die. That's still part of Adam's curse. He released that curse, and that curse is ended. Death shall not be overcome until the Lord himself shall return. And then that final enemy shall be overcome, and then, hallelujah, no more death. Death will be known no more. All right. So curses exist. Now, nobody, none, no one, would ever truly prosper. That is spirit, soul, body, mind, emotions, family, materially. See, I'm talking about total prosperity. The Bible speaks about no one would ever truly prosper in a complete way without God powerfully intervening to overcome for us the effect of curses already in existence. We're not talking about curses that could come from other sources. We're talking about curses already in existence would be powerful enough against most people to break them at some point, and they would not be able to rise up above the pressure of those curses. The ground bringing forth thorns and thistles, divisions of nations, and all the sin that is resulting in the world today. All right. Perhaps the greatest curse is Satan's freedom to roam on the earth and deceive and destroy under the opening that sin gives to Satan. Adam opened the door. See, all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, Satan is roaming on the earth and his demonic forces and bringing forth the, the destruction that he brings forth. And the sin, of course, is the refusal to submit to the sovereignty of God in every area of life. You cannot be deceived by the devil if you are a truly submitted person. It cannot be done. You simply cannot be deceived by the devil. You'll be deceived by the devil in any area of your life, however, that you have seized the sovereignty from God. You can't really do that, but I mean your mind, you know, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to. And at that point, you become totally open to deception of all kinds. Your conscience is seared and you begin to move in those areas that bring destruction. Now, how do we overcome the curses? First of all, by a close relationship to God. Now, I think it's very important to understand it. The first great commandment, the Lord, person came to him and said, what's the great commandment? You know, I think it was, that don't uh, have any other gods before me, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. No, he said the first and great commandment is love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And then Jesus added another one to it and love your neighbor as yourself. See, because the Bible says we do that, we fulfill the law. So what we're really saying, the first understanding that we have to have is relationship to God. So it is vitally important with me. That's why prayer is so important. That's why reading the Bible is so important. That's why worship is so important. We'll go on to some of these things in later messages. But I'm just kind of giving you still a basic outline here. But that's why it is so important for me to come not and pray like Oh, Lord, I pray that you do this and this and this and this and this, and then I pray for this and this and this, and I pray for this and this, in Jesus' name, amen. That's not a relationship. See, I would really have trouble if my wife came to me as soon as I get home tonight. Oh, my husband, I'm glad you're home. I want this and this and this done, and this and this and this and this and this and this and this, amen. And then she's gone. I get that all day at work. I'd like a little love here. See, that's right. I'd like a little love here. I want to be hugged. I want my wife to say, I missed you. I want to be with you. I want to talk to you. I want to hear you speak to me. I want to hear you. I want relationship. 
See, now out of relationship comes faith, hope, and love. These three and the greatest of these, once again, is love. Then that love can extend. This produces a life of faith, hope, and love toward everyone. Second part of overcoming the curses, keep his word. If you love me, see, out of love again, relationship, that's fundamental. Out of it comes love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments or keep my word. And it also speaks about overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and the what? Word of our testimony. So this is our testimony. We make it our own and we speak the testimony of the great things that God has done. And uh, they love not their lives to the death. Not important whether we live or die. It's important that we glorify God. All right. Sovereignty covers four basic areas. The spiritual. Now there's a dealing that God has for us here, and I'll speak about that. The soulish, the physical, and the material. Keep in mind these things. Sovereignty covers four areas where God says in our lives, I want you to do this to indicate my sovereignty here, this indicates my sovereignty here, this indicates my sovereignty here, this indicates my sovereignty here. See? So these four areas God exerts sovereignty over. Now, how do we submit in these four areas? Number one, the spiritual. We repent to God and receive Jesus as Lord, not as Savior. Lord. See? And I say in the area of my spirit, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I repent to him for all the sins I've committed against God, and I will follow him. He is my captain. All right. Second, soulish. Worship and submission in all things. That's why in virtually every church, even though they might have forgot the reason for it, the church will start out with worship. Let us arise and worship God. You know what we're saying when we worship God? God, we are dependent upon you for all things. God, we praise you as Lord of the universe. Oh, Lord, we lift up our... And our emotional aspects, the soulish aspect of us, begins to come under. You remember how I used to preach years ago? Our soul is like a jungle chimpanzee, just woo, 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 see, like this. And God's saying, I don't care how you came in here, give your soul now to me and worship. See, I will worship the Lord. I will praise the Lord, and so forth and so on. Third thing, physical, glorify God in your body, which is God's. See, again, sovereignty. So what is the purpose of my body? To glorify God with my body. Remember, he was contending with those who were going up to temple prostitutes, and he said, what? Shall I take the temple of God and join it with a prostitute? He was like, him. this is, your body belongs to God. Therefore, he said, your body is God, therefore glorify him in your body. See, that's a very important thing, that every aspect of my body belongs to God. So this is God's. This is God's. What's in it is God's. And what it will be is God's. Now, that's a very important thing to understand and grasp. The fourth thing is material. And how do I do that? I overcome the curse with tithing and offerings. And many people don't understand that. They, well, that's, uh, that's another time, or that's, uh, you don't understand my problem. I do understand your problem. I've been there. I'll tell you about that today. As a matter of fact, I will concentrate a little bit on the material today, because you need to understand that. There was a time in my life I didn't have two pennies to rub together or any ability to take care of my family. And I'll tell you, terrible poverty plagued me and dogged me. The other day, I was able to give a check for $6,500 to the church, and I've given some pretty good-sized ones before that. Now, what are you talking about? You gave a check for six? Yes. Now, what did that? What did it, coming from the place where I can't have two pennies to rub together and I don't know where the next meal is coming from, to where I can be a blessing to many people? I will tell you what did it. I stopped at some point and said, God, from now on in every area of my life, you are sovereign. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. And he said, I want you to do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this. Yes, Lord. 
Whatever you say, I'll do it. What plans do you have for my life? Lord, none except you give me one. I don't have any plans. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. I don't want to do anything. I tell people in prayer, I don't have any desires. What do you want God to do? What do you want to do, God? Different thing altogether, see. Okay. Now, producing abundance, how do we go about that? Number one, recognizing God's ownership of all things and his right to do as he pleases with those things. We are his faithful stewards or managers, and I'm not going to go into that too much here because I repeated it on several occasions in my messages to you. But I am going to read to show you how God deals with certain areas and he expects us to maintain it. Now, I'm turning to the book of Leviticus, the 25th chapter. If any of you would like to look at that, I think there would be some instructive things there for you. I'll just start reading. Verse 2, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Now notice how he's saying, See, you don't own this land. I'm giving it to you. I cast those out who were here before you. Now I've let you come in here, and here's how you will stay, and here's how you will prosper. It shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your fields. And prune your vineyard and gather its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your vineyard. Your harvest after growth you shall not reap. In other words, don't go through there and take it away. Your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. And all of you shall have a Sabbath price of land for food. Yourself, your male and female slaves your hired man, the foreign resident, and those who live as aliens among you. King James says the poor. Even your cattle and the animals that are in your land shall have all the crops to eat. You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years, and then he talks about the year of Jubilee. Now I'm going to skip through that and drop down to 17, 18, and 19. So you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. And you shall thus observe my statutes and keep my judgments, so as to carry them out that you may live securely on the land. Then the land will produce, see now we're talking about overcoming the curse, already the devourer is there, thorns and thistles are there, but here's what he says, and thus you shall observe my statutes, keep my judgments, carry them out, that you may live securely on the land, none will ever dispossess you, it's my land, I'll protect you. Verse 19, then the land will yield its produce so that you can eat your fill and live securely on it. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow and gather in our crops? Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when the crop comes in. I will so order my, don't you worry, see, my blessings will be there. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine and you are but aliens and sojourners with me. See, now, we can recognize that. I'm a sojourner. I'm a tenant. The land is mine. The house I live in, whose house is that? Would you say it for me? The house I live in, whose house is it? That's God's house. See? Well, I'll do this, and I think I'll do that. I think God... Lord, what use do you have for this house? What purpose do you have for this house? See, and then I must live there according to his plan for that house. Whatever property I have, it belongs to him. All right. Now, Haggai is one of the minor prophets, but he's not very minor. I'll tell you that. First chapter. Now, God is speaking to them here through the prophet. Verse 2. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now see, they made a judgment. He had told them, build the house of God. Plant my kingdom. Establish my, he's told them this, like he's telling us. Go in a wall of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Make sure that you are witnesses to me. Make sure that you are, well, we've been thinking this over and the time is not yet come that we should be a witness in Eureka. The time has not yet come that we should build the house of God. Time is not yet, see, and we start reasoning against God's plan for our lives. They say the time has not come. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? So here was the house of God broken down from prior times, not maintained properly, and yet they were fixing up their own houses and just, well, just going to it and all kinds of wonderful things were taking place while the house of God was lying desolate. All right, now here's what happened, the result of it. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. All right, here's the curse working. See, God merely lifts his hand and then this earth, which is already cursed, the thorns come up, the thistles come up, the pestilence comes against the disease hits and you've sown much, but bring in little. There is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a purse with holes. Now, have you ever felt that way with your money? I earned this money and I think it was drained out someplace. Now, look carefully to see that your life is in divine order. You may be having a purse with holes. And it may be in fact draining out from you, say. You put it into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild a temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. And when you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I call for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, and what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Everything you do doesn't work. Nothing works. Just all fouls up again and again. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people showed reverence for God. And Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, and so forth. And then the blessing began to return to their lives. Now you see, they had reasoned against God. You know, and many times people... Oh, well, you're asking for money to build the church? and uh, I mean, not money for paint, and money for the, money, 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 money. I've got money. I need, I'm, I'm remodeling my house, and I, I'm, I have to have a new car, and I, I really need to beware. Make sure the house of God is built. Make sure the house of God is a place that will glorify God. Make sure it's not some run-down, fallen-down, broken-down place. Well, I can't work on that place. I'm busy. I, if you only knew how busy I was, you would know, don't do that. See, that's what God is saying here. That's what they said. They run to their sealed houses, their panel houses. God said, you've let my house lie waste. Now you stop what you're doing. Go up to the mountains, get these things, 
build God's house, establish my kingdom, make sure that churches are planted, make sure that missionaries are taken care of, make sure that money is given so that this word will go out to the ends of the earth, then, says God, I will bless you. And your bag with holes will get sewed up, and all the rest of the things will be taken care of. See, then God says, Behold, I am with you. Now, once God is with you, I will tell you, you will prosper in whatever you set your hand to do. Remember what he said about Joshua? Obey my word, and then you will prosper in everything you do. Everything you do. See, I have a very rigid mentality when it comes to sovereignty with God. I submit myself. See, and the many times I've looked at something, well, I could sure use that. Get away, you devil. Dear God, yours. See? And the result is, I have, and my wife has prospered. See? That's a basic lesson to be learned there. Turn with me now to Malachi 3, 6 to 18. Once again, this has to do with overcoming a curse. See, a curse already exists. Now, sometimes a curse can be added to that. It makes it even worse. In this case, I think it was added to it, and then the pressure mounts up in an even greater way. Right, so here we are, Malachi, the third chapter, and this is verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. So he had made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, I will establish your posterity forever. So God didn't change, but they had changed from what Abraham was doing. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Then he asked him a question. Will a man rob God? God forbid! No! Well, will a man rob God? The question. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You have robbed God. See? Well, I don't pay tithes, or I believe, uh, or I think this, right? See, let's transfer the wording. Well, I don't think the house of God has to be built up. My house, my, my, my future, my... Uh, consider your ways. You have planted much, but you reap little. You worked hard, but I've blown on it, and it's gone. You have a bag with holes, and your wages fall out, and nothing is left for you, and say, consider your ways. All right, now, and I say to anyone who is not tithing, consider carefully your ways. You are really opening a door for a curse to manifest itself, not always financially, immediately, but in future generations, you're setting a pattern for children to follow, which will set them up for failure. All down the line. Don't do that. Make sure you pay your tithes. Very important. And the word here is pay, not give offerings of your tithes. Tithing is not offering. It has nothing to do with an offering at all. It's like land rent. We are tenants, God says. Then I say, what's the rent? Ten percent of all your increase. I give it to him. Never argue about it. I did argue with it. And interestingly enough, all the time I argued about it, I had a bag with holes. Now, I don't have a bag with holes. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house. And test me now in this. Now, the Lord does not deal with offerings here. He stops. He deals only with the tithing, because there was something else they were not doing. They were not taking care of the priests. They were not taking care of the ministry. And God makes it very clear they to preach the gospel should get their living from the gospel. See, it's very important that the people who are ministered to, and the New Testament says exactly the same thing, the people who are ministered to are required by God to take care of those who do the ministering to them. See, make sure you communicate and take care of them. Very careful to do that. All right, now, so the tithing belongs to the church to which you attend. Tithing is not a missionary offering. It's not uh, uh, send it over here and put it over here and send it to the television broadcast. It has one place. When I profited from the sale of my house, I wrote a 
checked for the tithe, gave it to Jim Moore, who gave it to Martha, who deposited it in this church. See, there's one thing God's made clear. If I took that money and sent it over there, God would say, fine, that's a nice offering, but where's your tithe? Well, I just paid it. No, you did not. Your tithe belongs here. It's very clear, so I always put it right there. I pay three times tithe. See, but the tithe goes here. Then the second tithe I count as a missionary offering. That's sent overseas. And third tithe I give to the international work. But my tithe goes here. See, it's very clear in my mind. Never put it any other place. Because it's unscriptural. It's ungodly. It's not proper. So there may be food in my house. See, food is the word. Those priests had to eat. And if they didn't eat, you know what they did? They abandoned the work of God and went out in the fields and started farming and taking jobs. And the next thing, the house of God fell on hard times. There must be food in my house, he said. You must take care of those ministers. All right. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer. See, it's like when God's hand was lifted off the nation, here's the devourers already. They're just like this, ready to go. See, I mean, the insects are ready to eat your crops. I mean, look at it from an agricultural point of view. The insects are ready to eat the crops. The thorns and thistles are ready to spring up. Disease is ready to attack the plants. I mean, that, they're just in the world. See, our plant diseases in the world. They're in the world all the time. Our insects in the world. See, our thorns and thistles in the ground, yes. Now, if God lifts his hand, boom, see, and they're right on those things. And then these terrible things begin to take place. Now, it turns us round here, though, and says, but I then will rebuke the devourer for you, so it will not destroy the fruits of your ground. Now I plant, and it begins to grow. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, and you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? Now, here's what they spoke. You have said it is vain to serve God. See, it's always a lack of faith that causes us not to do what God says. God says, if you do this, here's what I'll do. And this is so marvelous that how can anybody, if they really believe it, not do it? God says, I'll rebuke the devourer. Your plants will grow. Your vines will burst out with new wine. This will happen. That will happen. That. The guy says, I believe every word of it. Well, then why don't you tithe? Well, I need it over here because I have to pay my... Man, if you've got bills you can't pay, you know what I would do? I'd make sure I paid my tithe so God would bless me. But if we don't believe that... We'll go pay this and not that. And the result of it is that we lose out the blessings of God. Now, when I was down there, only had two pennies to rub together. Well, didn't have two pennies to rub together. Desperate. I didn't believe in tithing. And then I came and said, it can't hurt. I'm going to try it. Well, I want to tell you, from that time on, the blessing of God began to be upon my life. All right. Now, you have said it is vain to serve God. For what profit is it that we have kept this charge? That we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the arrogant blessed... Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and for those who esteem his name, and they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, and so forth and so on. Now, this opens the door so that God's hand comes down over us as a hedge, and the curse cannot work in our lives anymore. Many people never get beyond the fact that the curse is working very fully and freely in their life and everything goes wrong. I've heard people make statements like this. Every time I get somebody, something goes wrong. Some stupid, unexpected. Anyone ever say that here? No, I just wonder if anyone ever said it. Like that. See? Of course, you didn't say it like that. You said it like, it is a strange and marvelous thing. 
that whenever I am blessed with the coin of the realm, things happen to me. Is that how you said it? You know what God is saying? Stop. How much of a pounding on the head do you have to get? There's a book I read along, it said a whack on the side of the head. That's what many people need, like, oh, that's what's wrong. I will now. That's what we need. That's what this message is about. It's a whack on the side of the head. Whack. All right. Now, to prosper abundantly, though, takes something more than tithing. See, that's why it says tithes and offerings. Now, let me explain to you the law of offerings. Offerings are a very powerful way to opening up God's blessing. I'm going to read here from 2 Corinthians. You've heard me read from it before, but I want you just to listen to it now. This is not tithing he's talking about here. This is strictly an offering. And this is 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. He's talking about giving money to the poor. Take care of the poor, God says, and I will do this and this. But remember this, if you give little, you will get little. Now, he's talking about the law of sowing and reaping, the law of abundant harvest. How do you get an abundant harvest? Put lots of seed in the ground, take care of them. That's how you do it. Make sure you put all the seed in the ground you can. In other words, make sure it's working for you. This law must work, and you must work the law. The law does not work itself. You must work it. If you have seed in the barn, and you don't pick that seed in the barn up and take it out to the field, plow the ground, and drop it in there and start watering it, God's law of increase will not work. See, one plants, one waters, but what happens now? God gives the increase. Right. You have to understand that law. Now you must plant in order to get that. You must water to get that. But remember this, if you give little, you will get little. And of course that's true. If you plant two seeds in the ground, even if they were a hundredfold seeds, you still only have uh, 200 seeds. Well, they can't even hardly eat one, one or two good meals for a family. That wouldn't do it. But remember this, if you give little, you get little. A farmer who plants just a few seeds will get only a small crop. But if he plants much, he will reap much. Everyone must make up his own mind how much he should give. Don't force anyone to give any more than he really wants to, for cheerful givers are the ones God prizes. God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more, so there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. It is as the scriptures say. The godly man gives generously to the poor, his good deeds will be an honor to him forever. For God who gives seed to the farmer to plant, and later on good crops to harvest and eat, will give you more and more seed to plant, and will make it grow so that you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. Now, goes on to say, and then he talks about the poor people that you bless will begin praying for you, and they will mount up with thanksgiving to God, and that will redound to your account, and so forth, and so on. It's a whole wonderful thing. Now, the second law, if you wish to prosper, is the law of investing in God's work. See, we're talking about giving to the poor here. This is not investing in God's work directly or per se. Now we're talking about, see, tithing is like to take care of the ministers and the, the church situation here. But now we're talking about making the work grow. So we're going to invest in it. Now, a part of the reason why I've been successful financially is I discovered the law of investing. I discover the law of investing in the work of God and the law of investing the money properly so it would grow. See, two things. One, I must give it in a way so that God will be working here and do it here so that God will be working here. So both things it will grow in. All right, now the law of investing is simply this. I'm going to read to you from Philippians, the fourth chapter. And all of these chapters, by the way, you should know them and you should begin to work with them, understand what their message is, and make sure that you're operating in that realm. Philippians, the fourth chapter, 14 verse. Now, what they had done is this church had searched out Paul. He was on a trip. He was going through some pretty hard times. And this church uniquely took up an offering for him, a very large offering, searched him out, and gave it to him that he could continue his work. 
says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. What he had said before is, I'm not moved by these things. Paul would keep right on preaching until he starved to death, although God would never let him starve. But that was his heart. But nevertheless, they said, but Paul, you're not going to starve. We're going to invest in your work. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Now, no wonder this church, Philippian church, was so blessed. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. In other words, I urge you to give to the work of God, to invest in the work of God, that it might increase to your account, so that you will have even more, so it increases even more. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see that one followed hot on the heels of the other. You give to me, now my God shall meet your needs very powerfully here. And then the last thing, and I could give you examples of that, and I'm going to just throw them out here for you to think about. Number one, Peter put his ship at the Lord Jesus' disposal, so he cast out a little bit and he preached the gospel to the people on shore, and then what did Jesus do for Peter? He said, launch out into the deep and put down your nets for a draught. And what happened to Peter? He ended up with a load like he had never seen before. See, great. Now, the lad with five loaves and two fishes. Hey, I'm not giving you this, Lord Jesus. I mean, no, no way, man. <laughs> the other people didn't bring food too bad. I invest my five loaves and two fishes in the work of God. Well, what are you going to eat, son? I'm not concerned. I want Jesus to have these five loaves and two fishes. What was the result? It multiplied where 5,000 men besides women and children were fed and 12 basketfuls left over. Mighty increase. Here's the law of that type of sowing and reaping. The law of investing in God's work. The widow with meal and oil. Remember Elijah went to her and uh, he said, take me a little cake. Give me something to drink. She said, wow. All I have is enough for myself and my son. And then we're going to both starve and die. There's no more food. He said, go bake a cake for me first. And then we'll see what will happen. Remember, she obeyed him, baked the cake, and what happened? He said, go to your neighbors, and the oil never stopped flowing, and the meal never gave way until the famine was over and she was well out the other side. See, literally, God multiplied that by thousands of percent, this little thing that she had, because she invested it in the work of God. And once again, when should you start investing in the work of God? Well, I want to tell you when I did it. I did it when I had nothing. I said, Lord, but what I've got, I'm going to do it here. And sometimes I'd give a penny. And sometimes the offering would come by, and I literally was broke. I mean, flat. I had nothing. I paid my tithes. I gave what offerings I could, and here was an offering, and I had nothing. And I said, Lord, by faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm putting in hundreds of dollars in this offering today. Though nothing went out of my hand. Then God said, I'm going to bless you. And he began to do it. Now, when I get the hundreds of dollars, what do you do with them? I said, well, now, Lord, I understand. <laughs> I know I said that, but I feel here that, uh, dear Lord, thank you, Jesus. See? And then God says, I'll multiply it even more to you. See? Now, that's God's eternal plan. And then finally, aim to glorify God in your life. If you're going to be in a business or a job, do what God says. If you're working for somebody, give it everything you've got. He says, don't work for a man. If you're on a job, who do you work for? He says, work for God. See? Lord, I'm here to do carpentry work today for you, Lord. Or I'm here to do bookkeeping for you, Lord Jesus. Or I'm here to do 
I'm here on this job and they pay me a rotten salary and a rotten boss. <laughs> you will really be blessed in that job. You will have the privilege of drawing unemployment very shortly. Because you won't be there. But I tell you, if you work for God, that boss will say, I never saw anybody work like that in my life. Hey, man. Well, yes, sir. Uh, I want to get you trained for this job over here. Now, uh, you will move up by divine law. If you're in a business and you serve your clients with all your heart and soul, you know what? They'll spread the word. I never saw a company like that. Man, they take care of you. They really do right. They, 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 oh, manage it. And the word will spread. We want you to do work for us. That's the law of increase. See, the law of increase is not some mysterious, hidden secret like the law of increase is simply believing what God's word says and doing it. Remember what Jesus said? If you hear these words of mine and do them, you shall be like a wise man who built his house and then much blessing remained. I want everyone in this church to be blessed. Not a little bit. I want you to be blessed abundantly. I want your bags to all be sewn up by divine thread. I want your fields to bring forth. I want your jobs to multiply. I want your businesses to grow. I want you... And you know how this is going to take place? Because God is going to put a spirit of generosity on you. As a matter of fact, it's already on you because the Holy Spirit is in you. Let that spirit of generosity work. Pay your tithes. Give offerings. Think about it and say, I invest this money in your kingdom, O Lord. I am giving this to the ministry that it may grow. I am giving this that this church may be planted. I am giving this, O Lord. And I say, if you've given... Funny, when I was down in Guatemala, Carlos said to me, for every offering, because they'd hit three services, and I'd go up with everyone. they have you come up there, and i go up with everyone, and i put money in the offering. He said, man, alive. He said, you're here a few more days, you'll be totally broke. I said, in one way, that could be right. In another way, it will never happen. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand and give glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's give him a clap all day. You're sovereign, O Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the wonderful clarity that you've helped us with your word today, Father. I didn't know if I could explain it, and yet today I know that I have. I know that your Holy Spirit was on your people, and they grasped it. And Lord, what I pray now is for an abundant measure of faith. Lord, they will take the word of God, and they'll say, I'm going to do it, and they start doing it, Lord. And they keep on doing it. They apply the law of perseverance to their life. And they keep on doing it, Lord, until your abundance is so great upon them that their neighbors, their friends, everyone they work with or are around, Lord, will ask them, how did this happen? And they'll be able to say, my God has done it according to his eternal word. Hallelujah. Let it be that blessing, Father. Every area of their life, Lord. So the spiritual area, the emotional area, Lord, the physical area, and the material area shall all evidence your mighty blessing. Granted, Father, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Now say with me, Amen. 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 All right.